Hello. Okay. So, <clears throat> like Pastor Rolo said, we're doing a sermon series on the passages that helped all the pastors and whoever's preaching the most in their Christian life. So if you have your Bibles, my passage, or one of them is Acts 17, 11. It's Acts chapter 17, verse 11. And as you're turning there, um, this passage was the very first passage of scripture I ever memorized in my entire life. It's kind of a weird one. I don't know, but I was in a, when, a, when the Lord first started drawing me to himself, I was in a church that taught pretty much every heresy you can, could teach. And um, when I would ask a lot of questions and, and always get turned away, and eventually I was told that I wasn't supposed to question the man of God. And one day, by the providence of God, I'm just reading through the Bible, and that verse just jumped off the page, and I memorized it, and I had a million questions and never stopped asking, and since then been trying to find out as much about the Lord as I can through his word. Amen, church? So let me read the word of God. Actually, I'm going to go to, I'm going to start reading at verse 8 verse 8, so that we can get some context here. So it says, And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica, they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's go to the Lord and ask him to help us. Lord God, we need you tonight. Lord, I need your help to rightly divide your word, to show your people your glory, and to help us all, God, to see Christ clear, Lord. God, I pray that you would do that. I pray for these people here that they would have their hearts open and their eyes open to see you. Lord, fill us all with your spirit so that we might do all these things for your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. How will you be remembered? How will you be remembered when the bell tolls on at the end of your life? What will people say about you? What legacy Will you leave behind for your family and your friends and your community? So over the course of our lives, countless seemingly insignificant moments have left an enduring impact on the people around us. They are moments that may have gone unnoticed by us, but have profoundly touched the lives of other people. So family, I want us to consider the people of Berea, the Bereans here in verse 11, who had such a moment, who upon hearing the words of Paul and Silas in the synagogue, never anticipated the far-reaching consequences of their actions that day. Their intention was simply to recognize the authority of God's word, yet they went on to inspire generations, leaving an imprint on Christian history that endures with us today. They didn't seek fame. They didn't seek to have 
churches and Bible colleges and towns named after them. No, their noble character is stemmed from their unwavering commitment to the truth of God's word. And though our knowledge of the Bereans is, is limited, what we do know about them is commendable and worthy of repetition. The Bereans will forever be remembered and recognized as noble people, people who are celebrated for their attitude towards the word of God as recorded here in Acts 17:11. So family, I ask you, how will your actions shape your legacy? Will those around you be inspired to give proper attention to the word of God? Will you be remembered as a person who courageously recognize the authority of the word of God? Or will we be like Christians who act like the world and reject the external objective truth in the word of God? So what we have before us here in Acts 17 verse 11 is a short story about a group of people that left behind a legacy that is worthy of our admiration they did not set out with these grand ambitions to etch their names permanently on the records of church history. No, their purpose was humble, yet it was profoundly noble. And it was simply to have the right attitude towards the word of God, to give proper attention to the word of God, and to recognize the authority of the word of God. So if we want to leave godly, lasting legacies, for our families and our, the people around us and our church, we too must have the same attitude towards the word of God, give proper attention to the word of God and recognize the authority of the word of God. So if you have a handout, if you're following along on a handout, that's point number one. Point number one, we must have the right attitude towards the word of God. So I'm certain you're asking a question. How does a person have the right attitude towards the word of God? Well, if you look at here at verse 11, it says, by receiving it with eagerness. That's what the Bereans did. The Bereans received the word with all eagerness. So when we examine the meaning of this phrase, receive the word with eagerness, in verse 11, we discover this, that to receive the word with eagerness means to be willing to learn some Bibles interpret it open-minded. Uh, it implies a genuine interest or a readiness of mind. And so the Bereans exemplified this attitude by approaching Paul's preaching with a state of mind that was ready and prepared to receive the message of the gospel. So unlike people who are plagued by apathy or arrogance, the Bereans listened to the things that Paul and Silas said with a genuine enthusiasm. They were not dispassionate or presumptuous. Their hearts were not clouded by blind and unreasonable hostility to the message. They did not seek objections for the sake of being argumentative and contrary. No, they were eager to embrace the light and the truth that this light illuminated. So in their eagerness, the Bereans followed in the footsteps and walked in the same spirit of the faithful throughout redemptive history. Their willingness to hear the word is similar to the attitude that Lydia had in Acts chapter 16 
verse 14, who attended to the things that Paul said and was pleased to receive them. They walked in the same spirit as the Gentiles in Thessalonica, who, according to Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6 through 9, they received the word with joy of the Holy Spirit and turned from gods, turned from turned to God from idols. Uh, they walked in the same spirit as those who, like Cornelius and his family, eagerly awaited the message of Paul that Peter had for them in Acts 10:33. They had the same spirit as the people of Antioch who begged to hear the word of the gospel in Acts 10.42. They walked alongside King Josiah who, after discovering the book of the law, listened to the words and responded in repentance. They walked in the footsteps of the psalmist who delighted in God's word and meditated on it day and night. And they walked in the same spirit as the two disciples on a road to Emmaus, whose heart burned within them when Jesus opened up the scriptures to them in Luke chapter 24. So now we need to address a potential issue here at this point. So when we speak of the Bereans and others who receive the word with eagerness or readiness of mind, the scriptures do not suggest that these people were gullible or inclined to believe anything blindly. Quite the opposite. They approached the word, yes, with an eager expectation, but they were aware of their need for discernment and wisdom, and you'll see that in the second point. Nevertheless, their attitude towards the word of God was one of eagerness. So in our own lives, family, there will be times when distractions and hurt and pain will threaten to interfere with our eagerness to hear the word of God, and there will be times when our hearts, the fl our flesh, and the devil would try to draw us away from hearing the word of God. And our desires at times will yearn for something else other than God's revelation. And our painful past experiences will cloud our receptiveness to hear God's word. Nevertheless, we must be eager to hear the gospel. And we must be ready to receive the word of God in every circumstance. We must be people who eagerly Embrace the power, the truth, the faithfulness, and the wisdom of God's word, regardless of the situation that we find ourselves in. The word of God is the fountain of wisdom. It's the only true guide, and it is the only place where men, where men and women find lasting peace for our lives because the word of God is the only place that we find Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. Jesus Christ is the power of God. He is the only way that men and women can have peace with God, and he is God's word to us. Amen, church? So the Bereans were called noble because they had a right attitude towards the word of God, which was one of eagerness and readiness of mind. Not only did they hear the word of God with eagerness, they gave proper attention to the word of God. They gave proper attention to the word of God. That's point number two. Point number two you following along on the handout. So family, for any of us, any of us to truly embody the nobility that we see here of the Bereans, we must give the same attention that they did to the word of God. The Jews in Berea, far from being naive or uncritical, accepted Paul and Silas's message after diligently 
examining the scriptures. And their belief in the gospel was based on their examining the scriptures daily to see if those things were so. You see that in the second half of verse 11. The Berean examination of scripture was not a casual perusal, but it was an investigation. The word used in Acts 17 verse 11 interpreted examining carries the weight of a forensic inquiry. Something similar to a, a, a judge questioning a prisoner. It's the same word that Luke used in 23:14 to describe Pilate's interrogation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And this implies that the Bereans thoroughly and closely examined the scriptures. They carefully evaluated the word of God. They systematically studied God's revelation. And the Bereans' examination of scripture had a single specific purpose. It was to verify whether the Christian interpretation which the Apostle Paul put on the Old Testament was so. In other words, the Bereans carefully investigated what they heard Paul and Silas teach about Jesus and determine if their message was consistent with the Old Testament as these two preachers claimed that it was. That makes sense to you? So furthermore, the Bereans, they examined the scriptures daily. They examined the scriptures daily. The, this fact underscores the depth of their examination. This examination was not superficial. They did not have a cold indifference to the truth of these things. They did not have a careless attitude toward the words that Paul was preaching. They yearned to uncover the truth. They longed to discern whether these things held true significance for them. They embraced the responsibility to critically evaluate Paul's words and to diligently examine them with a discerning eye up against the word of God. So if our little blue pocket hymnal that we handed, that we gave away not too long ago, if you look on page 153, it's uh, question number 97 of the Shorter Baptist Catechism, spells out for us how we give proper attention to the word of God, and it does so by asking this question. It says, how is the word to be read and heard that it may become effective for salvation? And it gives this answer. For the word to be effective for salvation, we must attend to it with diligence, preparation, and prayer. Receive it with faith and love. Lay it up on our hearts and practice it in our lives. Family, I'm well aware that there is no specific command in scripture to read the Bible daily. However, as one writer wisely stated, there is no denying it. And we shouldn't try to excuse our way out of the reality that both scripture and experience attest to the truth that the best of Christians, the most faithful of Christians, the most mature of Christians have spent more time in God's word, not less. Amen? So family, we have been granted this glorious right by the Lord to 
go to Scripture personally. But that does not mean that we have the right to interpret Scripture as we please. Okay? The right and privilege God has graciously granted to us is to see and discover the one divine truth which the Spirit of God has written into Scripture. And that is, is that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing we may have life in his name. That is the main aim and the divine truth of all Scripture. So if you claim to find anything else in Scripture as the main aim of Scripture, you found nothing. You have been fooled or you are fooling yourself. This is true for every person. Every man can truly only find this one main aim and bullseye in Scripture. The Scriptures are clear and perfectly sufficient to present this main aim and truth to every man. And anyone who deviates from this truth can only do so by making the Word of God say something that it never intended to say. And they and they alone are to blame for any deviation from this point. So we have this great, glorious right, but this right is combined with an equally great and serious responsibility. We must not misconstrue the right that we have, and we must not treat the responsibility lightly. Amen? So there is no higher pursuit, family, than the pursuit of truth. And so for this reason, surrendering our right and our privilege to go to Scripture personally, if we surrender it over to a pope or over to a priest or over to a great preacher or over to some theologian, is not noble. It's lowly and degrading to the stature that you have as the people of God. You and I cannot blindly follow the opinions or the teachings of any man, regardless of their stature or their position, without examining the scriptures diligently to see if these things are true. Remember, if any man or an angel should preach to you a gospel that is contrary to the one that was revealed to you in the word of God, he is a curse and you have to reject him. If me or Pastor Ed or Pastor Rolo or Pastor Vladimir get in this pulpit and start talking crazy, you have a responsibility to hold our feet to the fire according to the word of God. Again, we have a right, a duty, and a privilege to examine the scriptures to see if these things are true. And for us to take advantage of this great privilege, it means it demands that we must give proper attention to the Word of God. So this might mean adjusting your schedule. Uh, it might mean waking up earlier or going to bed later or losing some sleep so that you could read the Scriptures. We have to build regular and diligent reading and examination of God's Word into the rhythm of our life. If you don't plan for this, it won't happen. So, just in order for you to apply this, let me give you some real, just basic application. I would suggest disciplining yourself to read through a single book of the Bible and find out how it points to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. According to John 5.39, he says, You search the scriptures because you think in them that they have eternal life, but it is they that bear witness about me. 
Another good piece of advice is, is this. He says, this, listen to this. Examine every sermon that you hear and determine if this is true. If what you are being promised or offered can be attained without a historical, crucified, resurrected God-man Savior. You understand that question? If whatever that man is preaching, and he's promising you something, and you can have it without a Savior who is crucified, resurrected, ascended, and is God in the flesh, if you can have it, whatever he's promising you, without that Savior, reject it. Run. So our nobility and our legacies depend on having a right attitude towards the word of God. It depends. They depend on giving proper attention to the word of God. And lastly, they depend on recognizing the authority of the word of God, recognizing the authority of the word of God. This is the third point. If you're following along on the handout, we must recognize the authority of the word of God. So we're still in verse 11, and it says that the Bereans examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So what are these things that they diligently examined and daily examined? It was the preaching of the Apostle Paul and Silas. The, these noble Bereans understood the authority of God's word, and they understood that it was over and above all men. For these people, even Paul, the mighty apostle, was subject to the supremacy of God's word. Uh, their focus was not on his eloquence or his, the persuasion of his arguments. Uh, they were not concerned with aligning his teaching with their own preconceived notions, personal beliefs, or past experiences. Uh, their pursuit was solely the pursuit of truth as it was revealed in the revelation of God. So for these noble souls, the word of God served as the plumb line, as the unwavering guide, and the unyielding rule of truth. They didn't rely on traditions, denominations, and the words of their favorite internet pastors. Nope, their reliance was on the word and the word of God alone. The word of God alone was the supreme judge by which all religious controversies by, for them would be settled. All the decrees of councils, all the opinions of ancient writers, and all the doctrines of men were subjected to the word of God. Family, this is true nobility. So the Jews took great pride in their lineage, boasting of their, uh, the fact that they were descendants of Abraham. They considered themselves to be noble, so to speak, by their birthright. But Acts 17, 11 proclaims a very different definition of nobility. Uh, true nobility lies in those who humbly receive the message of the gospel and have the courage to demolish arguments and lofty opinions that stand against the knowledge of God. The noblest of men are those men who bring every thought captive to obey Christ. The noblest of men are not those who tied their preconceived notions and, and, and feeble opinions and erratic feelings to the decisions that they make. 
True nobility is found in those who submit themselves to the guidance of the infallible oracles of the God who cannot lie. That's true nobility. And the, these Bereans exemplified the true spirit of Israel. They were better Jews because they displayed a commitment to seeking truth and aligning their lives with the word of God. So family, when our feelings start to rage, we have to recognize the authority of the word of God also. When obedience will lead to suffering, you have to recognize the authority of the word of God. When you receive contradictory teachings from the people that you love, like your mother and your grandmother and your sweet little auntie that did all this wonderful stuff for you in your life, when she tell you stuff that contradict the word of God, you must recognize the authority of the word of God. And we must recognize the authority of the word of God when it challenges our own beliefs and our own desires and our own feelings. Amen? So, if you open your Bible and you got a, a, a thought bouncing around in your head and it contradicts the word of God, guess who's wrong 100% of the time? You. The noblest of men embrace the word of God as their unwavering guide and their highest authority. Amen? The Listen, family, the world around us is crazy. They're angry, scared, they're uncertain, and everybody has their own standard of truth. Nobody knows what to believe. Nobody knows what is true. And the only option that they have left is to yell louder than everybody else. Right? And so what this is the world yearning for truth and certainty. And our God has given us both of those in his word. He has revealed to us absolute truth and unwavering certainty. We know how this is going to end. Because God's revelation has told us. So the question is, is do you have the courage to submit to the authority of God's word? Do you have the courage to submit to the authority of God's word? So listen, I am well aware that there are very many hard sayings in scripture that rub against our modern sensibilities. And there are many, many passages of scripture that are hard to understand and that are complex, and will take an entire lifetime for us to get our head around. Nevertheless, we have to understand something, that the challenges and the complexities in Scripture do not come from the fact that it's written by men, but because it's in the form of a servant of Christ. When we understand that Scripture is not only a written document, but it's a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ given to us to reveal what God has done in human history to save his people, then we will begin to see the words contained in these pages are not just words, but the path to eternal life and the path to our Savior Jesus. The word of God, as recorded in Scripture, is a timeless 
testament and testimony to the grace, mercy, long-suffering, and kindness of our Lord, and it's the ultimately and it's ultimately revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the challenges and the complexities of Scripture are due to the unity and the harmony that Scripture has with our Lord and our Savior. Family, the Bible is the Word of God. The Bible is the Word of God. If Pastor Rolo said it all the time, if you want to hear God speaking, read the Bible out loud. Okay? It is Holy Scripture. In its pages, we discover the inspired and authoritative revelation of the Almighty Himself. And according to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, in the words of Scripture, the, we find the divine breath of God filling every line and every word of Scripture. Scripture carries divine authority, and its purpose reaches far beyond just giving you instructions on what to do. It has the power to shape us, to reprove us, to correct us, and train us in righteousness, and guide us to unwavering certainty. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20-21 through 21 affirms that Scripture is not the product of human will, but rather a result of the Spirit's inspiration. Holy men carried along by the Spirit pen the sacred words that compose the Bible that you are holding in your hand. And it is through this text that God revealed his will, his character, and his redemptive plan for all of humanity and all of creation. And it is an undeniable fact that Jesus is the living incarnate word of God. The opening verses of the Gospel of John ring with this declaration of the truth. John chapter 1, Gospel of John chapter 1, verses uh, 1 through 14, make this profound assertion that Jesus is the Word, the Logos, who was not only with God, but was God. And in a gracious, miraculous act of divine condescension, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Furthermore, if we look and consider Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, the scripture describes Jesus as the radiant manifestation of God's glory. He is the exact representation of God's nature and the full embodiment of divine revelation. Jesus in his very being encompasses the fullness of God's self-disclosure to humanity. He is the word made flesh and stands as the ultimate and complete revelation of God to us. In him, we witness the revelation of God's character, the revelation of God's will, and God's plan for the redemption of creation. Jesus is God incarnate, and his presence among us reveals the depth of of God's love, of God's mercy, of God's faithfulness, of God's long-suffering, and God's grace. And when we must recognize the unity and the harmony between Jesus, the incarnate word, and Holy Scripture, the written word. 
Jesus himself declared in John 5, 39, that all scripture bear testimony to him. And after his resurrection in Luke 24, Jesus gave the, the, the greatest Bible study of all time, right? He graciously illuminated the hearts and minds of his disciples, showing them the connection between himself and all of the Old Testament scriptures. And he showed them how through him that the promises and the prophecies of the scriptures would find their fulfillment. So I'm standing before you right now with this unwavering conviction that Jesus is the living word and Holy Scripture is the written word. In the person of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we find the complete, final, full, and ultimate revelation of God. And it is, in, and it is within the pages of Holy Scripture that we find him. And so for this reason, any opposition directed towards Scripture is at its core an opposition to Christ. I'm going to say that again. It's because of the unity that exists between the Scriptures and Christ. Any opposition, any refusal to submit to the authority of Scripture is directly opposition to Christ. To question the authority of Scripture is to question the very revelation of Christ himself. So, rather than viewing the challenges and the complexities of Scriptures as obstacles, we should embrace them as gateways to seeing more and more of our glorious, magnificent Savior. Jesus Christ, God's word to us, fulfills all that Scripture pointed to in history. The law of God reveals the Lord. Through his life, teachings, and redemptive work, we uncover the true meaning and purpose of the written word. It's to point you to Jesus. It's to point you to Christ. That's the point. This is why God inspired holy men to write down everything that happened in redemptive history so that you and I would have a record of how he saved you through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Do you understand that? So when you get to a passage of scripture that you don't necessarily like too much or you don't want to submit to, you are ultimately saying that you don't want to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. So family, We must approach both the living word, who is Jesus himself, and the written word, the Holy Scriptures, with the right attitude, with an eagerness to hear, and a readiness of mind. We have to approach the living word, Jesus, and the written word, the Holy Scriptures, with the proper attention, with examination, regularly, closely, and we have to approach Jesus himself, the, written, the living word, and the written word, holy scriptures, and recognize their unquestionable authority. Jesus is king. Amen? Of everything. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And you only find him in the scriptures. When you read the scriptures, your Lord and Savior is talking to you. 
So to oppose those is to oppose him. To oppose the scriptures is to oppose your king's word to you. We must recognize the unquestionable authority of the word of God. So our legacy as a church and our legacy as faithful Christians depend on how we approach the word of God. If we are going to approach it with the right attitude and give it proper attention and recognize its authority. So as people who are saved and who are noble, we must give the right attitude to the word of God give the proper attention to the word of God and recognize the unquestionable authority of the word of God. Amen, church? Let's pray. Lord, help us to always receive your word with eagerness and readiness of mind. Father, we pray you give us the resolve to rely solely on your word and scripture to be our plumb line not our feelings, not our opinions, not our preconceived ideas and notions, O oh Lord. Lord God, help us all, O oh God, to believe that your word is true, that it gives us strength and courage, and by your spirit, help us, God, to obey your word and to submit to its authority with our whole hearts. Lord, we ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen.